Hi, I'm Rebecca from Pittsburgh. The Sound of Young America is an independent production supported by listeners like you and me. If you'd like to donate to support the show, visit MaximumFun.org and click on Donate. Live on tape from my house in Los Angeles, I'm Jesse Thorne, and this is The Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org. Radio sweetheart, on the airways, it's the sound of It's the Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guests, Dave Foley and Kevin McDonald, have been friends for more than 20 years. For almost all of that time, they've been performing together in the Kids in the Hall. Here they are meeting at a party in a sketch from the Kids in the Hall TV series. Hi, I'm Derek. Pleased to meet you. Well, it certainly is a pleasure to meet you, Derek. <laughs> I'm sorry if I bothered you. Oh, no, you're not bothering me, Derek. Far from it. There's nothing I would rather do than just stand here and chat with you. You know, really get to know you. Look, I don't think there's any need to be sarcastic. Oh, I'm not being sarcastic. No. This is just a little speech impediment. I can't help it. Okay, I've obviously said or done something wrong to upset you. I'm just going to apologize and be on my way. No, no, no. Please stay. It's true. I've talked this way all my life. It's made things very difficult for me. Yeah, right. Hey, where are you going? Come back. I really want to be your friend. I'm so lonely. It's the sound of young America. I'm Jesse Thorne, America's radio uh, sweetheart, yeah, where... Dave Foley, please stop yeah, talking into the microphone. I apologize for Dave. No, no, Kevin, no, no, no just one should intro, be. Just do your intro. Just do your intro. Well, no, <laughs> Dave was very rude, and I apologize for Dave. No, just you do your don't. intro. No, you shouldn't be so close to the microphone, and you shouldn't be talking to the microphone. I'm You're totally to do right. Do, yeah. you, do your intro. When we'll, I'm doing my we'll sexy. Okay, just, we'll, I'll right. start over. Okay. Start over. It's the sound of young America. I'm you know, Jesse. I feel really bad about uh, your first no, time, the first time, and I'm being so close to the mic. I'm, so I'm no. back away from the mic now. Listen, to that. I sound better. Maybe I was. Oh, no, I'm way too close. No, yeah. may, I, I, know. I should have been clearer. Mm. I should have been clearer. It's my fault. Um, I need to do. I just need a clean intro. Okay. So if you guys don't, um, sure, sure. while I'm doing it. It's the sound of young America. We probably go where, really does the intro. Yeah, where, that's probably a good idea. Probably no, you guys should leave. stick. Let me just. You uh, guys should stick around. <laughs> the what? kids in the the kids in the hall are leaving. Oh. Um, it's the sound of young America. We're at the comedy festival in Las Vegas, Nevada, at KNPR. My guests are Dave Foley and Kevin McDonald of the Kids in the Hall. They're uh, cult. Uh, sketch comedy series ran on. <laughs> Sorry, that was you too long of a pause. You emphasized the word cult very yes. strongly. They're cults. <laughs> yeah. Comedy series. Our series, uh, which we produced in Jonestown. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so what cult comedy <laughs> sketch do you want to write today, Dave? Ran from uh, 1988 to 1995. Uh, Close enough. Yeah. Lady was the pilot. 1988 yeah. was your good. pilot. I yeah. did my research, and then gentlemen. Was a year off, 89. I I've read Wikipedia. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm no fool. 
Um, ran from 1988 to 1995. Um, after many multivarious outside activities, they've recently reformed the group for a national tour and are here performing at the Comedy Festival. Gentlemen, welcome to The Sound of Young America. Well, thank you for having us, Young thank America. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you. The, you two... Are we allowed to be on something called Young America? As old Canadians? <laughs> I don't As know. Old Canadians? Am, am I, honestly? Yeah. Is something called The Sound of Young America allowed to be on public radio? I don't think so. All of these are open questions. They're trying to skew younger you see yes yeah um you two guys are are uh technically speaking founding members of the kids in the hall true point uh, how did how did the two of you meet each other we met at uh, second city workshops in toronto uh doing the mirror exercise we were paired off in our first class together randomly by alan gutman our teacher when you say doing the mirror exercise are you speaking literally you were literally you know that that thing where you have to like match each other's Wow. Movements. Uh, we uh, they basically said one, two, one, two, you pee. Everyone, we're going to do the mirror exercise. And Kevin and I managed to make each other laugh while doing the mirror exercise. And then we ended up in the fetal position. Yeah. We, yeah. What was it that you were doing that was so funny in I the don't mirror know. exercise? It's just we were funny. We just... I had been in it for a year, <laughs> and not many people had made me laugh. And right away, this guy was making me. Uh, this yeah. guy was making yeah. This guy was. Oh. I'm patting his leg affectionately. Uh, Bring oh, your no, leg ow. close to the mic. That's, ah! not, that's <laughs> not my leg. Sorry. In in all seriousness, though, what what was it about the, know, the other that that led to? It's just a chemistry kind of thing. And yeah. then through the class, I mean, the 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 only person that really when Kevin got up on a state on stage to do a, an improv with some other actors, he was the only one that made me laugh. You know. And then he was the only guy that made me laugh, and I knew I couldn't let him go like that, so uh, I didn't know his name, and I walked him to the end, and I said, do you want to join my comedy troupe? I didn't have a comedy troupe. <laughs> he said yes, and then my comedy friend, Luch, I went to him uh, his house after. I said, we got to start a comedy troupe because I met a guy. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's basically what happened. It was, yeah, the two of us and Luch Kazmiri. Kevin, did you have a vision for the group besides just capturing Dave? I did not have a vision. I go on instinct. I, I saw a guy in the fetal position, and I knew I just couldn't let him go. Uh, a year previously, uh, I, my first class was Mike Myers' first class, and uh, we started. Uh, we tried to form a comedy troupe, and it didn't work out. And he was already enormously successful, so I couldn't let this guy go. He, he was. Uh, he was. Uh, By enormously uh, successful, he means he was in the Second City Touring Company. Yes, right. but my standards. That was at the time. That successful. was enormously successful. Well, I think that is what I meant. Yes. By the standards of sketch comedy, I mean just getting paid to do it is enormously yeah. successful. Yes. Yes. Until you realize that Second City underpays you so badly <laughs> that, that it's not so much an honor and success as it is being robbed. <laughs> Where did you perform initially? Were you performing on stage at the Second City? No, we weren't performing anywhere. No. Uh, oh, at a Where thing called Theater Sports. Yeah. Uh, theater Sports. Uh, have you heard of Theater Sports? Yeah, just Keith Johnston. Keith Johnston. Exactly. Started in Calgary and... It's like a you know it's theater and sports. It's so a, we two were, comedy troops in front, and we did that. Yeah. And then uh, Dave Luch and I, uh, as the kids in the hall, were sort of the house comedy band at the Rivoli, which later became the place where the five of us is the kids in the hall, as we now know the kids in the hall. When Mark and Bruce moved to town. Yes. But we we had like ten minutes every every Monday the the three of us. Did you have to write new material every week? Well, we when we were doing that, we used to improvise mostly the three yes. of us. Yeah, we were, we, were having, we tried to write, but it, but it was we were lazy. It was hard. Would you write a premise and improvise based on that, or was it that kind of? Uh, we just take we did straight improv where we just took an audience suggestion and did improv scenes. But we had a few sketches. Uh, Dave's Gustav the Fern Slayer. Yes. Uh, and uh, <laughs> one armed usher. That was a that was a good one. Uh, and what was the one about the? I was the friend who was too polite, and then uh, Luch was the explosives expert that blew me up. <laughs> right, yes. How did you go from doing 10 minutes of improv a night to uh, doing sketch? 
Well, we Mark and Bruce came into town with their group called the Audience uh, from Calgary, and and we'd heard a lot about them, and they'd heard about us, and you know, everyone thought we kind of go, we'd start to compete. Uh, but said we, were, I guess we were. It was a this place called the Ritz Theater, ah. and we were both on the same bill one night at this sort of uh, like vaudeville night show, and uh, midnight show. We saw them, thought they were funny, and they thought we were funny. So instead of competing, we just said, hey, why don't we all do shows together? And so we did that for a while, and then eventually we moved that into the Rivoli. A lot of members quit. We were like, we had a lot of members to the four of us. And then Scott came. And Scott came and forced his way into the troupe. Yeah, and then we both, and once we were set up, then we were doing every Monday, and we advertised that every Monday would be a whole new show that that we'd never repeat sketches, an hour of new material, and then we'd improvise for an hour after the uh, intermission, which was when we would get drunk. The uh, the late 1980s were uh, the mid to late 1980s were sort of the peak of the comedy industry in at least here in the United States. Mm-hmm. And uh, Toronto is a center for sketch and improv. I mean, you guys both mentioned already uh, the Second City and in, in theater sports in Toronto. Um, w- why were you playing at sort of vaudeville music venues and and whatnot rather than on the comedy stage or alternately in comedy clubs? Well, the vaudeville show, it was kind of like a punk vaudeville show it was hosted by these guys alan george who were great comedy team but it was kind of like a you know i guess it was sort of like a punky vaudeville show we knew very early that the comedy clubs were it was not the right place for us and second said he wouldn't hire any of us because they (laughs) they thought our comedy was rude so we we found our own clubs we uh, navigated our own map this was before anyone ever used the term alt comedy you know before alternative comedy. No one ever said alternative in 1988. No, there weren't any. There weren't, there weren't any alternatives. No. There weren't any alternatives in 1988. To anything. <laughs> to anything. You could turn, you know, if you get to a corner, you could turn one way. That was it. That was it. It's my way or the highway just yeah. overall. People just traveled in circles because they, you know. No alternatives. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that was basically it. So with, there was sort of this sort of underground comedy scene started brewing in Toronto because the mainstream comedy scene in Toronto was pretty boring. Yeah, right. you know. sure. I oh, remember the Maroons. Yes, I the Maroons. Do they were the there were four chubby guys. Uh, for, they were like thirty eight, which is now young. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> they were old. At the guys. time they were old, uh, and uh, they wore maroon, maroon shirts. Co- and they came out and they did their maroon type comedy. Yeah, <laughs> where it's like, <laughs> Wait, excuse me, are you order. Prime Minister Mulroney? Yes, look at my chin. And you know the so, Maroons. You know we just hated them. Uh, they were very nice to us, but they made a lot. Of, they, well, they were successful. They, they were made successful. money. They, they could. Uh, they toured around Southern Ontario. They yeah, and they made play. money, and, and they, they got made... hired to write, rewrite movies all the time. And they got big laughs every night. And we yeah, at that point we, uh, we did not get big laughs before people knew us. That's mm-hmm. a, that's something I wanted to ask you about because one of the challenges of playing anywhere that's not a comedy club, some anywhere that's not a place where specifically people went to see comedy is that you can often get a very hostile reaction, no matter how good you are. Um, mm-hmm. Was that a challenge for you in those early days? I, and I mean, the idea of playing in a punk venue, uh, the punk audience not known for its uh, self-awareness or a great sense of humor. Said, because we played uh, the Rivoli and places like that, uh, they were sort of punk and gothic. And back then, punk and gothic, the worst they could do was they wouldn't say anything. <laughs> it would just be silence. So uh, we never got really any violence or any meanness. It, it was uh, the worst we got was was gothic like yeah. silence. Well, heckling takes too much commitment. Yes. <laughs> um, they come. They, they listen to their Cure records all day, and they'd come uh, to our shows and be quiet. But the weird, the weird thing, like, yeah, when we first started playing Queen Street, there was an attitude that comedy wasn't serious enough. 
you know, that it wasn't important because, you know, Toronto was very earnest, you know, very political town in the 80s. And uh, we came in and we were, you know, goofy. So it took a while for Queen Street to kind of warm up to us. Mr. Lujic, do you still maintain that your actions concerning Flight 138 were somehow justified? What would you have done? None of you can understand because none of you were there. You don't think about what's right and wrong when you're just trying to survive. Right and wrong, those are just words. They don't mean anything. When you look around you and all you can see is death. And all you can feel is the hunger. What would you have done? We're not talking about a plane crash in the Andes here, sir. You never got off the runway. We're talking about a delay. You are the sole survivor of a 35-minute delay. 35 minutes I will never forget. You ate 112 of your fellow passengers. You could have eaten just one, but no, you ate a little bit of each passenger. What? Your Honor, I am not an experienced cannibal. I did not get on that plane expecting to eat anyone. I simply tasted a little of each in hopes that the next one would taste better. I'm sure Your Honor has done the same thing with a box of chocolates. No, I haven't. My wife does, and I hate it when she does it. Oh. I suppose I wouldn't mind so much if I still loved her. But let's face it. I need some time to myself. (laughs) After a quick break, we'll hear from my guests Kevin McDonald and Dave Foley about how the Kids in the Hall TV show came together. It's The Sound of Young America on PRI Public Radio International. Production of The Sound of Young America is supported in part by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered. Online at ask.metafilter.com. If you're a relatively new listener to The Sound of Young America and you're looking for an easy way to catch up on old shows, why not try The Sound of Young America Classics? The Sound of Young America Classics is a separate podcast feed for older Sound of Young America programs. So you'll get a new old Sound of Young America delivered to your iTunes every week, and it's just as free as the regular Sound of Young America. In iTunes, just search for Sound of Young America Classics, or if you're already looking at one of our productions in iTunes, just click on MaximumFun.org in the author area, and you'll be taken to our special iTunes room. You can also go to our blog and click on the button that says All Our Podcasts in iTunes. The Sound of Young America Classics is your easy way to get new, old Sound of Young America programs. It's The Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guests are Kevin McDonald and Dave Foley, two founding members of the brilliant Canadian sketch comedy group The Kids in the Hall. They told me it took a while for them to find their voice. Basically, we were funny, but we needed to develop like a, like a style uh, that suited us. And eventually, I think it probably... Uh, really started to gel when Scott came in. Yeah. You know, I mean, it was the shows were good, and then I think when it became more of a unit when when it became the five of us. Before that, like there was like people were drifting in and out. Yeah. And then when Scott came in, it kind of, you know, it was it just the whole thing solidified, and we went. And he was oh, a real yeah. actor, and he was a real strong presence. And we'd always, the four of us would always be the shy at the back of the stage, and people had trouble seeing and hearing us. And Scott forced us to the front of the stage. Yeah. He brought some kind of professionalism to it. Yeah, and he lacked, and he didn't have our snobbishness about comedy. Yeah. You know, yeah. he wasn't a comedy snob like us. What settled it? Like, what, what was it when when Scott joined the group, that was when you got what ended up being your permanent lineup? I think it was just a sense that that was the element that was missing. And even then, we didn't think we were going to stay together. 
you know, we just thought, but now this is a good yeah. group. And I, I think we, I, Dave and I always thought we'd be together, and Mark and Bruce probably always thought they'd be together, or at least there's a chance of that. And yeah, and Scott will always be with Scott, and he probably knew that. Yeah, though Scott just put up with Scott for a couple of years. True, <laughs> true. Back. They're back. Yeah, they just weren't as funny apart. Yes, <laughs> they need each. Other. Those two guys really. Scott need Townsend really needs himself. Scott really needs Scott. You guys were writing a, a lot of material every week. You said a, a, yeah, an a hour. new hour every Monday. In which um, we'd start writing on Friday. I imagine you probably had real jobs at the time. If by real you mean pizza cook and movie usher, yes. <laughs> yes. Real part-time jobs. To, no one really had a full-time job. Um, no. How did you How did you get together an hour a week? I mean, a lot of oh. sketch, gro- sketch groups will get together, uh, stage sketch group will get, a, get together a new hour every six months. Right. Well, we would start... We'd meet we, Friday, throw ideas, pitch ideas to each other, and... Saturday and Sunday, we'd meet a couple hours. Maybe just something to Saturday. Saturday. yeah. And then the only thing that we had to tell our jobs is we had all day Monday. We always made sure we had all day Monday and all day Monday off. And we, I think we did the most work on the Monday afternoons. Yeah, but we'd just, like, basically just work on our feet and revise it. But sometimes, we like, going. on Tuesday, Dave and I would see a movie and get an idea, and we'd have that idea to bring in uh, on, on Friday. On Friday, yeah. But it was... but and, and oddly enough, we kind of redid that recently before we went on this the Try last this tour material, yes. we we decided to just to check to see if we could still do it we got together we booked a show at uh, the Steve Allen Theater in in LA and challenged ourselves to show up with no scripts and give ourselves we gave ourselves 3 days to write 90 minutes of stuff and put on a show for the weekend you mentioned that you didn't have an idea of the permanence of the group at the time. When was the point when you realized that this group was going to be the thing that carried you guys to the next stage of your career and that the next stage of your career would be as a group? Well, it felt very real, and then we were discovered, but only two of us could hire for Saturday Night Live, so then there was some fear, was well, that's going to split us up. Like I... It seemed like it happened like overnight that we went from playing to empty rooms to suddenly word got around about us and we were suddenly had a lineup outside the door i mean we, we advertised our show would start at eight which it never started before 10 and but we <laughs> we had lineups outside uh, the door starting at like you know six o'clock and sometimes it would run out and down the street and uh, that's when it seemed like it was happening that, that, you know and then we started getting people like uh like people that we really admired people that were in second city main stage like John Hempel, and John who would come down to see us, and then Catherine O'Hara and her sister Mary used to come to see us, and Marty Short came down, and Dave <laughs> Thomas, and so all these people that we loved, Joe Flaherty came to see us, yeah. um, people that we really sort of like looked up to. Why didn't two of you getting hired for Saturday Night Live break up the group? Because uh, it turned out that Mark and Bruce were writing on Saturday Night Live in what is... I think universally considered the worst season ever of Saturday Night Live, 1985. The uh, Can we cruelly call it the Anthony Michael Hall year? Yes, the yeah. Anthony Michael Hall year, yes. Well, he cruelly made it the Anthony, Anthony Michael, Michael Hall, Hall year. By uh, being Anthony Michael Hall on the show. Yeah, and so they were down there, and they were down there as apprentice writers, and they ran up against the fact that basically they were down there writing stuff for the kids in the hall and trying to get it into Saturday Night Live and rarely getting stuff in. But Lauren really liked the stuff they were doing, but it just wasn't working on the show and they have a lot. You know, they have a lot of. High, I know they love to talk about how hard they work on Saturday Night Live, <laughs> but they have a lot of weeks off. Right. Uh, and so whenever they'd have a week off, Mark and Bruce would fly up to Toronto, and we would we would write a new show and perform it in mm-hmm. Toronto. So we wound up still doing um, shows almost every month, you know. Yeah. And we wound up staying together. We thought we were split up, but we wound up, you know. It turned out no, and then at the end of that year, we started looking for a TV show. Yeah, and then Lauren Michaels came to Toronto to see one of our shows, 
you know, because he was I, at the time he was thinking, well, maybe there's other guys in this group to bring down, and he thought about bringing some of us down and changed his mind, and decided to uh, give us our own show. The kids in the hall had a very uh, particular voice in certain constructions, and it's very different than, for example, Saturday Night Live. Mm-hmm. For example, you guys did almost nothing timely. Uh, whereas Saturday Night Live is completely built around timeliness. It is a live television program every mm-hmm. week. When Lorne Michaels signed you up, did you have in your mind the idea that you wanted to do something different? We probably thought that uh, we're just going to do what we keep doing. Yeah, we're, we're going to keep doing what we're doing. Basically continuing with only trying to and we hope that trying it was, to please each other. That was really the only goal. And I guess we always hoped that it was something different. Yeah. But we never thought we'd do Saturday Night Live we, 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 or Monty Python. We try hard not to do Monty Python um, yeah. or SCTV. We, we, I guess we had enough faith that we had a, a different enough voice that it would be interesting. Yeah, and you knew that, you know, that if you did something that seemed like somebody else, that there would be like this uncomfortable thing in the room. Like when you pitched it, if it sounded like it could be somebody else's sketch, it would be like a, oh, yeah, it's funny. But, but you know, uh, John Cleese did yeah, that. Yeah, you know? <laughs> and so then you know, I guess we wound up developing our own style. Did you have a feel for the impact the show was having when it was on the air? Not really. Uh, more so uh, when it was in the repeats. Yeah. That's when like people really started, like uh, a year or two after the show stopped being on the air. Yeah. Uh, that's, it seemed to get more popular. And that's when people started – before that, they always stopped me in the street, but uh, not always. I mean, they had before. But there was more fervor. They were more excited about it. it I think it's a show that you've got to watch two or three times, uh, even like yeah. even the same episode two or three times. And then you get sort of obsessed with it. Or you hate yeah. it, but I don't yeah. meet those people. Or they, they're quiet. The, the hating people are very polite. They don't come up and tell me that. I know. I remember there was a point that when we were doing our show that we'd be watching Saturday Night Live and go, they're kind of trying to do us, aren't they? Yeah, uh, there was that point where they, they started playing women and stuff. They all, yeah, the guys started playing women and they started doing more sort of Oh, uh, they, had a, they had a scene where they had sex on the table after we did the scene comfortable, but where there was sex on the table. Right, I remember yeah, seeing yeah. that like a, a little after. And it felt like, you know, it seems like they're kind of trying to, you know. We already covered sex on the table we stuff. We did our sex yeah. on the table, yes. And, uh, and that's where I thought, well, I guess maybe we're having an influence, you know. And I think the influence helped them to be uh, almost as unsuccessful as us. <laughs> Thank God. Yeah. Also in the news tonight, two clearly insane people broke into a wig store today and stole two wigs. This just in. Two clearly insane people broke into a stable tonight and stole two donkeys. You know, folks, as a professional journalist, I have to wonder if these stories are related. So you're the two lounge singers. Yes, we are. Those wouldn't happen to be your donkeys outside, would they? Why, no. I mean, we might have stolen them, but that doesn't make them our donkeys, does it? So, did you get us the piano player that we requested? Yeah, he's up there on stage. Does he have a piano? Yeah, it's that, that big thing in front of him. Well, does he have fingers? Yes, he does. Good. Introduce us or die. Yes. One of the things that you guys uh, did on the show was uh, things that could loosely be categorized as strange. Um, and I wonder if if any anyone was in the pitch room pitching things that you decided were too strange for the kids in the hall. 
Scott Thompson. <laughs> constantly. <laughs> Scott Thompson constantly. Even today. <laughs> yeah. He always had ideas about uh, his ass opening up and uh, another planet coming out of it. <laughs> <laughs> All the time. Yeah. The thing you have to understand about Scott is that every single idea he has in his mind is the most brilliant and important idea yeah. he has ever had, <laughs> no matter what it is. It's the, it's the only thing that matters to me, the only thing that will ever matter to me. Is this idea? They loved it down at the bar last night. Yeah. And Hat World, we all were supposed to play a hat. <laughs> yeah. We were all different hats talking about yeah. the, the world. I've been up for three nights doing cocaine, writing this sketch. I have worked too hard to let it die. <laughs> and then it died. Yeah, because it wasn't funny. What compelled you guys? You you had some very tough time after the show ended. Making your movie was, from everything that I've read, kind of like a, a low point in your non interpersonal party. relationships. <laughs> a nonstop yeah. low point party. <laughs> what was it that compelled you? Uh, you know, ten years later, you did you did a, a, a one live tour in between. But what was it that compelled you ten years later to get back together? What, what changed? Well, it started in five years, I guess, after. Uh, Brand Candy. We didn't do anything together for five years. Uh, for example, we didn't have uh, conversations. Uh, <laughs> that after five years, we just, I guess Kevin was living in L.A. and I was in L.A., so we started hanging out together a bit. Dave invited me to his house. I remember I was in the bath, but the phone was close to the bath, and then he invited me to a hockey game, and I immediately came out of the bath, and I went to his house wet. <laughs> yeah, so if he hadn't had a phone near the bath, we would have never reunited in 2000. Exactly. So, kids, keep a phone by the bath. <laughs> and go to your friend's place wet. Yeah. So we, uh, but yeah, so so then we were talk, started talking, and then around 2000, we, we got together and did a, re, a real reunion tour, because we, you know, we didn't think we were ever going to do anything again. And we went, you know, we met and did that tour, and... And we always talked about doing a movie, and, uh, and we worked on it a little bit, but for some reason... It just seemed easier this year. Uh, it, 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 it gelled. Bruce had an idea, which gave everyone another idea, and, and we built on the idea, and now we have a good idea. Yeah, and I think getting, I think a big part of it was getting together to write new material. I think it's helped that's strengthen what, that's the bond. What, yeah, that's, that's totally – Dave answered the question yeah. that I was getting, bringing up. Because sure. we were always – the thing that always made us uh, excited about being in the group was the fact that we did new stuff all the time and – and there was a, you know, we did a, we did that the one tour that was a lot of fun. Then we did another tour where we went out and did greatest hits material again, which was fun, but not as much fun. And we realized we were getting bored. And uh, and so this this tour, you know, going out with new stuff uh, kind of reinvigorated us. And just the idea that to sit in a room and go, oh, there are new ideas. There are ideas that that we can get excited about. You know, is it different now working together? It's it's less painful. It's sort of exactly the same, but it's less painful because we're older. Yeah, uh, I always quote this. Camper Van Beethoven, they got back together a few years ago, a group I love. Uh, they uh, they fought a lot in their 20s, and they were asked in the interview, uh, well, why don't you fight anymore? It's well, when you're in your 20s, it's your job to be an asshole, but, uh, especially in a group. But when you're in your 40s, you, you probably have had children and stuff, and it's, it's harder to be an asshole, so it's nicer to get along. Yeah, well, you know everything isn't life, or, life and death, except for Scott. <laughs> Well, uh, Dave Foley, Kevin McDonald, thank you so much for being on the Sound of Young America. It was so fun to have you. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks thank for you. having thank, us. Thank you, Young America, for having thank us. You. And another Sound of Young America program comes to its satisfying conclusion. My special thanks to the folks at KNPR in Las Vegas, Nevada, who hosted our interview with the kids in the hall and hosted me during the comedy festival in Las Vegas, which is why the kids in the hall were in Las Vegas. 
Anyway, they were really super duper nice about it, especially since they weren't getting anything out of it besides goodwill. So thanks so much, everybody at KNPR. I've been your host, Jesse Thorne, America's Radio Sweetheart, the show produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our theme music written and performed by Dan Grayson with help from myself. Interstitial music provided by Dan Wally. You can find us online at MaximumFun.org. You can email me directly at jesse at MaximumFun.org. Oh, this show was edited by Nick White. We'll see you online and later this week on The Sound of Young America. Bye-bye.